0: Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone who ever remembers changing their mind from the paint on a sign? Is there anyone who really recalls ever breaking rank at all for something someone yelled real loud one time? Oh, everyone believes in how they think it ought to be. Oh, everyone believes and they're not going easily. So sang John Mayer, one of his top 40 songs, Belief. And a first read of our gospel lesson, what Jesus is teaching us today from Matthew, makes it seem like it is about unbelief, when in fact it's really about competing beliefs wrong belief and right belief. Jesus is not talking about the need to go from no faith to faith, but from wrong faith to right faith, from faith to in a system to faith in a Savior. In between last Sunday and this Sunday, you may not have realized this was happening, Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem, at least in Matthew's retelling. And so for the rest of this church year, up until the end of November, Jesus will be in Jerusalem, in the temple grounds, confronting not just the Pharisees, whom he's engaged with, for many of the past weeks throughout Matthew's Gospel, but also with the Sadducees, the scribes, and the leaders of the Sanhedrin in the capital city of the faith itself. From Christmas until last Sunday, Jesus has been teaching the disciples and the crowds and the Pharisees, but now he has run headlong into the Jewish establishment, the system. And what he teaches is going to test who is with him and who is against him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Mark that it's the authorities who are asking this question, right? It is the people who are in charge, the people who are responsible for leading the Jewish people. And what they are doing is something that all leaders do. They are gauging the threat to the system that's their concern. To what extent is this itinerant preacher from Nazareth going to threaten their life and their lifestyle and the system that they have built up that they call the Jewish faith? So Jesus, taking a note perhaps from Socrates, answers their question with another question. I will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will answer yours. What is Jesus asking in this question he poses? He's gauging whether his word has taken root in their hearts. Have you listened to what I have been teaching? Are you familiar with the parables that I have told, with the miracles that I have performed? Are you ready to open your ears and listen? Who is their God? That's what Jesus is testing. Will they change their minds? That's what he wants to know. And ultimately, will they trade their faith in their system for faith in God in Jesus Christ as their Savior? What is the difference between the system and the Savior? Systems are stable, it's why we adopt them. They give Pattern to life. We like having a schedule to the day, to the week, to the month, to the year, even to our lives. We like to know what's going to happen next, except for the few crazy people amongst us who like spontaneity and surprise. Most people don't live like that. They want to know what's going to happen at 9 and 11 and 12 and 1. And the Jewish system provided stability for the people of God. You tithe. You go to temple, you obey the priests, you keep the peace, you be a good guy, and you stay away from the bad guys. That's the system. And it was comfortable. Because the system let you stay rich, it let you ignore injustice, let you ignore the poor, and ignore whatever made you feel uncomfortable. Systems generally make you feel good about yourself and the people around you. Systems mean nothing have to change. Maybe some of you in Quebec have heard people tell you that they are spiritual and not religious. There's something to that. Religion is always a system. Spirituality could have to do with the Savior, or it can just be another equally bad system, but that's a discussion for another time. I remember when I was a teenager, my godmother gave me a book called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious, It's one of those catchy titles that are meant to kind of get you thinking about what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Maybe some of you have heard preachers say that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And there's something to all of these things. Because religions are systems, and they usually serve the status quo. In other words, a system, without even intending to do so, can make sin comfortable and easy, so much so that you're doing it without giving it a second thought. According to Matthew's gospel, the very first real sermon that Jesus preached was the Sermon on the Mount. And if there is any set of words that upends systems, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Anybody that heard that sermon knew that this was somebody preaching not like the scribes, but as one who has authority, one who is here to open their eyes to what God really intends for his people. They pointed back to the God of the Old Testament as a God who is good, but who is not always safe and not particularly interested in systems. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who wants to participate in a system that lifts up not the strong, but the meek, not the ones who work to get ahead, but the ones who are humble, not the ones who are happy, but the ones who mourn, and not the ones who are safe, but the ones who are persecuted. This is no kind of system that anybody would willingly choose to be a part of. And it's not like Jesus is making this up out of whole cloth. It is there in the prophets, in Moses, in the Psalms, in the writings, but you see, the Jews had turned all of those things into a much, much more comfortable system. And every good thing that God spoke through the prophets went from being a word to shake us up and then save us and deliver us to a cudgel meant to break us and keep those at the top at the top and the bottom at the bottom. The word of the Lord went from being a word that was meant to change your mind and therefore your life to a word that confirmed our way of thinking and our way of life. So Jesus tells a parable, as he often does, to try and shake people up and make them think about what they are saying and what their system has done to them. The parable Jesus tells the leaders makes clear that he wants them to change their minds. Is it those who say the right thing who are good with God? Or those who do the right thing? Because those who don't do the right thing don't believe the right thing anyway. It's just words. The child who says, yes, I will go, but doesn't, secretly hates his father's work. You think about it for a moment, right? We often think, oh, well, he's just, you know, he gets distracted or he gets busy or he got instruction and then his friend said, let's go into Tarsi City to get some converters. As Luke wants to do at the beginning of the first Star Wars movie. I don't want to go out and work. I don't want to have to do this. But really, this is just a willfully disobedient boy. And he's willfully disobedient because he hates his father's vineyard. Stupid grapes. Who grows them anyway? Dad could hire all the people he wants, but no, he comes to his son, makes him go and pick grades. Yes, dad, I'll go as if. But the second son, who says, no, I don't want to go, but goes, loves his father, doesn't he? The words may not say it. And his reaction at the beginning may not say it, but he has heard the word and changed his mind and said, yes, I don't want to go and pick the grapes, but I love my dad. I know what he's done for me. I know that he has given everything he has so that I might have a good life. All he's asking me to do is pick a few grapes. It's the least I can do. And so he changes his mind. Change from hating the Father's will wanting to do it. The Jewish leaders are asked a tough question by Jesus because whatever they answer, their lives are going to change. John's baptism into the forgiveness of sins was from God. That's one possible answer. Well, then why weren't you baptized? There's still yet time to repent. Why are you clinging to a system instead of a God who wants to save you? That's what's going to happen if they answer the question that way. They could also say John's baptism is from man, and then the crowds are going to see you as the hypocrites that you are, seeing John and Jesus as threats to your system rather than as the inbreaking of the God of our fathers, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, come finally to fulfill the promises made through everyone who has spoken God's word. are revealed then, if they answer that, as the ones who are upset that God is saving the ones who make them uncomfortable, saving the lost, and condemning those who are very happy with the way things are. So who is your authority? Who do you trust? Whose orders do you follow? Whose orders are worth following for you? I think I told this joke before about this captain in the army whose orders were so bad that his men said they would follow him anywhere if only to see where this was all going to end up. If you really trust God, you will listen to his word. Do you trust the systems and the ideas that make you comfortable, that make your life easy, that make things go on day by day by day. That do not require you to change your mind to repent and return to the Lord. Or do you trust a Savior who says, "If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away"? You want to talk about people suggesting change. The choice is yours: the system or the Savior. John Mayer's song goes on to say this, that belief is a beautiful armor, but makes for the heaviest sword. Like punching underwater, you never can't hit who you're trying for. Jesus wants you to change your mind. He wants the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the crowds, even his own 12, to change their minds about the way they think about how God acts in the world. That their belief and trust in God as an authority might go from being a weapon and a cudgel, which it was for the Sadducees, to belief being an armor. What does armor do? It allows you to move with protection across the battlefield, treating the injured, bringing solace to the downtrodden, and protecting yourself from the arrows of the enemy in the process. It means you no longer need to worry about your own safety. Because you live under the shield of God's protection. So that now you can serve your neighbor. There is no system for serving your neighbor. There's no checklist. There's a reason why Lutherans talk about casuistry, but we do not have guidebooks. We gather together as pastors to say, what should I do in this particular situation? Because there's no system that says exactly what to do. Except that love is the fulfillment of the law. And so how do we love our neighbors in their situations and troubles? Belief is not a sword. Belief is your armor. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians. Change your mind. Follow Christ. Let go of the systems that are comfortable and easy. And find instead a Lord who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And unlike those systems, with me you will find rest for your souls. Do not be the ones who simply go around saying, yes, sir, I go. But the ones who say, I'm really worried about going, but I know it's the right thing to do for my Father, who has sent his Son for me. In the name of Jesus Christ, (laughs) amen.